There was an article this past week about one of the more infamous antagonists of the 20th century in the United States, an attorney named Roy Cohn. Some of you may recognize his name as he was one of the, he was the chief counsel actually for Senator Joe McCarthy uh, in the 1950s and a strategist for McCarthy's hearings against the supposed Red Scare of communist infiltration, as well as the less known Lavender Scare that was hearings against suspected homosexuals. You also may recognize his name from President Trump's rant a while back when he punctuated it by yelling, where's my Roy Cohn? When he was frustrated that then U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions wasn't seen as defending President Trump's interests sufficiently. Or you may recognize Roy Cohn's name from Tony Kushner's masterwork, Angels in America, a gay fantasia on national themes. In Kushner's play, Cohn is shown at the end stages of his life as he dies of AIDS. But having lived his life as a closeted gay man, he cannot admit to it. There's one consistent truth in viewing Roy Cohn's life through all of these lenses. That of a man who was willing to do anything and everything to gain an advantage over and against someone else. Lies. Threats, deceit, they were his call and trade. But over the course of his life, no matter the number of enemies he made, because of the power he wielded, he was still welcomed into the homes of the rich, the famous, and the powerful. Barbara Walters, Andy Warhol, and yes, Donald Trump. Many of New York's who's who made their way to Roy Cohn's table. Until, that is, his deception and his bullying caught up with him. And at the very end of his life, he was disbarred by the New York bar for cheating his clients. And as the story is told, the end of Roy Cohn was finally known at his dinner table. You see, every year, Roy Cohn would host an elaborate dinner for those closest to him, those with their hands on the levers of power and wealth. This last time, however, after his disbarment was made final, only one friend arrived to find the long dinner table set with linens and silver and china and empty because no one was there to share this meal. What Roy Cohn experienced at the end of his life is exactly what the steward in our parable this morning fears the most. In one of the stranger parables that Jesus tells, 
we find a steward at the end of a long con. He's been found out. Word has finally gotten back to his boss. It's over, but for the final accounting. He is out and needs to figure out what he's going to do. What in the world will happen next? As the story tells, he is not strong enough to dig and he's too proud to beg. And then Jesus, I, I love it in the parables when we get insight into someone's mind. And so all of a sudden we find out that the steward has a flash of insight that even when he's no longer in his position, he sees how he will still be able to be welcomed into people's homes. His solution? Meet with each person who is a debtor to the owner and cut their debts significantly. Now to be clear, he is forgiving the merchant's debts not as an act of mercy but so that now they're going to be indebted to him. That way, when he's no longer in this position of power, he will still have access to wealth. Now here's where the parable gets a little more strange. Because Jesus seems to commend the dishonest steward and say that the children of the light should follow suit. I think this is probably where the first century scribes forgot to use the sarcasm font. <laughs> because the parable ends up in a very familiar place with a familiar warning that Jesus offers us about where we put our trust. It's just that it's kind of hard to see. In our translation, the warning comes to us about wealth. What's interesting is that in the Greek and in some of the subsequent translations, the word here actually is mammonas or mammon, which, as it turns out, is a very elusive word to translate because it's from the Chaldean, and maybe like you, my Chaldean is a little rusty. The word, though, doesn't translate directly as wealth. It's more like where you place your trust. Where you place your trust. And in the context here, it should be understood as where we falsely place our trust. Like, for instance, in wealth. Why? Because wealth is insatiable. There's never enough. If wealth is that which is hoarded for one's own sake alone, if wealth is the lie that we tell ourselves, that we can protect ourselves by surrounding ourselves with money or power or privilege, then you cannot serve wealth and God. 
Again, why? I think it's because when you are serving wealth, you cannot let go. You cannot give away. You cannot share with others because you are simultaneously holding on so tight. And while it may take some time, it may take decades even, eventually all the lies that wealth tells will eventually fall away. And that is a very lonely place. I was recently meeting with a fellow parent of a high schooler when I startled her, I think, a bit uh, by making a confession. I, people, I think, find that startling when their priest confesses to them. But she was, um, she was talking about how challenging it is for students to be admitted to the top UCs. She herself has a high school daughter, and she was, um, she was saying the good grades aren't enough. Extracurriculars aren't what they used to be. The competition is just so fierce, and it's getting tougher and tougher every year. The anxiety was building in her voice, and so that's when I admitted to her my confession that I can understand why Felicity Huffman did what she did. I can see how that can happen. How a parent could do something like that for their kid. You may remember uh, Felicity Huffman, she's an acclaimed actress who was recently caught as one of the nearly three dozen wealthy parents paying to give more advantage to their high school children so that they might get into more exclusive colleges and universities. Unbeknownst to her daughter, uh, Huffman had paid a test proctor $15,000 to inflate her SAT score by changing some of her incorrect answers right after she took the test. And across the nation, outrage followed. I mean, it's generally understood that with wealth comes advantage. Better schools, private tutors, testing prep, college counseling. But for Felicity Huffman and other parents, that wasn't enough. So Huffman and others like her attempted to use their wealth to buy even more advantage. And again, I understand where this comes from. Because I love my children fiercely. I want them to thrive. And it seems that while this nation claims to be a meritocracy, that the right degree at the top of your resume makes a significant difference. And, what, and if what it takes is some more points on the SAT, and few people will be the wiser, Now, I hope to God that I would never do that. 
but I understand how someone gets there. Make no mistake, I understand why the outrage followed this action. I just know what's underneath it. Knowing that a little pressure here or money there could help my kid for life. What I was saying to that fellow parent was that given the wrong circumstances and the right amount of money, I could be Felicity Huffman. Our parable today, strange as it is, and it's strange, it's, it's of a piece. It's like there's, a, there's a, a pair of parables, and it reminds me of the other half that we heard a couple weeks ago, the parable of where one should sit at a feast and uh, who one should invite to dine with them. My sense in that parable is that it's not about who, that you shouldn't invite family members to eat with you uh, or people that might be your friends or people that you want to seek relationship with. The key phrase in both parables comes in the form of the words, so that. As in, taking an action so that you and your advantage come out the other side. Yes, our parable this morning has some very strange assumptions, but it is again a warning. A warning against acting so that others will be indebted to us. And this warning is as present now as it ever has been. The temptation to personal benefit surrounds us. This pull to seek our own advantage as a form of safety or security in an unstable, volatile, and often chaotic world is right there. What is it for you? What homes do you want to continue to be welcomed into? Where in your life do you seek that subtle advantage? What might you be willing to let go of so that you can receive the riches of God? 